Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Kerbstreet is on the phone. 34. Here. Podcast. We. America. Here's our podcast. Yeah. It is Wednesday, May 18th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody's ready for a loaded episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know about today's show. We will lead with the interesting news from Tuesday night. We have ourselves an NBA draft uh, positioning, basically. The NBA draft lottery was on Tuesday night. I will give you some thoughts on the lottery itself. Orlando Magic have the number one overall pick. And then I will quickly go through the top three picks and who I think should ultimately be selected by the teams with the top three picks. From there, we'll take a break, go to some college football. Jordan Addison, the star wide receiver, it appears as though he is down to three schools. Had somebody ask me, where do I think he should go? We'll do a quick segment on where I believe Jordan Addison should end up, as it appears it's down to Alabama, USC, and Texas. And finally, we will wrap with a Wednesday mailbag. So last Wednesday, we did the mailbag. We got some really good questions. Mike Leach, uh, president of the NCAA. We got some really good ones today that I am going to hit on. First of all, the Alabama-Texas game will be a noon kickoff. Do I like noon kickoffs for college football? Uh, How much pressure is on Steve Sarkeesian at Texas this year? Uh, Arkansas basketball. Should it be Final Four or bust for the Hogs? And we'll wrap with a really good question about the five most underrated cities in college basketball fun mailbag as always we're going to do mailbag segments on wednesdays you can submit those questions if you have any questions aaron torres podcast questions at gmail.com with that said though let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day is we have ourselves an nba draft order the nba draft lottery was on tuesday night right before game one of the Heat and Celtics. And let's not beat around the bush. Let's get into it because I think this will be a fun segment as we now know the NBA draft order. First of all, the the players at the top of this draft, I think anybody listening would know, but it appears as though it is a very definitive top three of Jabari Smith from Auburn, Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga, Paolo Bancaro from Duke. I do think there's some other guys that are pretty good. 
Jaden Ivey from Purdue. I don't think he'll go number one, but I think he could be a top three guy. Keegan Murray from Iowa, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, uh, Ben Matherin from Arizona, Shaden Sharp, the mystery man. My buddy Sam, who runs the Torres on UK account, says he's not even sure Shaden Sharp exists. But those are the top players. And let me give you the draft order that we now know is official as the Orlando Magic have the number one overall pick. The Oklahoma City are drafting at number two, the Houston Rockets at number three, Sacramento at number four, Detroit at number five, Indiana at number six, the Portland Trailblazers at number seven, the New Orleans Pelicans via the Los Angeles Lakers, that's a pick they got for Anthony Davis at number eight, number nine is the Spurs, 10 is the Wizards, 11 is the Knicks, 12 is the Thunder, a a pick they got from the Clippers for Paul George, 13 is the Hornets, 14 is the Cleveland Cavaliers. So I'm not going to go through every pick and every team, but I do have several takeaways besides the fact that I feel like, by the way, super random, but I, I've been following the NBA for 25, 28, 30 years at this point. It feels like every time I watch the draft lottery, either the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Orlando Magic uh, win the draft lottery. Now, it turns out that the Magic haven't won the lottery since 2004 when they drafted Dwight Howard, but it feels like it's been a while. It feels like they're always picking at the top, and I think that, to me, is the first takeaway. So let's get into some of the takeaways from Tuesday night and the draft in general. The first takeaway, in my opinion, is that the Orlando Magic, not only can they not mess this pick up, you have to go get a guy that can help you right away. I understand that the NBA draft more and more is about picking players based on upside. And because of that, I think, you know, there's a possibility that, that they could go in a lot of different directions here. If the Magic, if it's any history, they'll probably screw it up. But we'll, we'll get into who I think they should pick in a minute. But I was thinking about this even before the draft lottery. Has there been an organization in the NBA over the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years that is just like less significant than the Orlando Magic? Like, like tell me your favorite Orlando Magic memory since Dwight Howard left the Orlando Magic. Oh, it doesn't exist because there isn't one. And in my head, I went back and I was like, is it really as bad as I think it is or am I making it up? Oh no, it is that bad. Uh, the Orlando Magic have not won a playoff series since 2010 when Dwight Howard was here the year after they made the NBA Finals. They have three total playoff wins. Wins, wins, not series wins, not they lost four to three in a series. They have more, three playoff wins since 2010. So you know the, the Phoenix Suns that everybody's been crushing? They lost four to three to the Dallas Mavericks. Those three wins that they had against the Mavericks is the same as the Orlando Magic have had in the NBA draft since 2010, and here's where it gets tricky. Since 2013, they have had 10 top 10 picks in the draft, and have almost, or seven top 10 picks in the draft, excuse me, and almost universally screwed them all up. They drafted Mo Bamba. They drafted Jonathan Isaac, who's whatever. They drafted... Uh, Mario Hazanja, who I don't even believe is in the NBA anymore. This is how bad their drafting has been, okay? The two guys that they've drafted that ended up half decent, Victor Oladipo and Aaron Gordon, it took so long for Orlando to figure things out that they had to trade them because there was no reason to keep a young, talented player on a losing team. They traded them for more draft picks, which they have since screwed up. So to me, this is the number one story. Don't wait on the developmental players. You have to get players that can help you right now. 
I don't know how you can sell your fan base on another big guy that's four years in the process of developing like you sold him on Mo Bamba, like you sold him on Jonathan Isaac. You got some players that are nice pieces. Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner played well for them. Go get the guy that you think can step in right away and contribute right away. I don't care who it is. I don't care what position. I'm going to tell you who I think in a minute. But man, you have to go get somebody who can help you right now. You can't keep drafting in the top 10. Second takeaway, as I told you, the uh, Oklahoma City have the number two overall pick. And what I think is interesting about the Oklahoma City Thunder is this. How long is their fan base going to be patient with this seemingly never-ending rebuild that they are in the middle of? And I know never-ending is, is relative, but if you remember, it was three years ago that Paul George demanded a trade out of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Happened on my wedding night, at my wedding, everybody, I think I've told this story, but everybody's on their phone when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, uh, Paul George gets traded, Kawhi Leonard signs. But I bring it up because 2019 is when the Russell Westbrook-Paul George era came to an end. And it's been mostly forgettable since then, although I will say, Chris Paul did go there for the first year of that rebuild. They made the playoffs. But the bottom line is, this is really three years in a row where you're selling your organization on, it's the future, it's the future, it's the future. Be patient. We got all these draft picks. Well, at some point, it doesn't matter how many draft picks you have, you gotta make use of them, and you gotta actually start to put a winning team on the floor. And so I have no great insight into who are Oklahoma City's going to pick. I have a guess. I'll give it to you in a minute. But to me, this is fascinating, right? The fan base has been patient. They've been through three years of a rebuild. They had the third worst record in the NBA, if I'm reading very uh, you know, quickly at these standings correctly. You've got to start putting a competitive team on the floor. It'll also be interesting. You know, Sam Presti, their longtime GM, LeBron has hinted that he wants him in L.A., doesn't appear as though Rob Palenka is going anywhere, but you wonder, does he stick around through this whole rebuild? Does he try to find another job elsewhere? He would obviously be in demand, but I'm just curious how much longer you can keep selling your fan base. You're going into year four of a rebuild. At some point, you got to put a winning team on the floor. Let's get into some of the individual players because I'll tell you this, in terms of the players, listen, I have no real super hot takes on Paolo Bancaro and Jabari Smith. I think Jabari Smith is a little more tools and upside. I said during the college basketball season, I don't know that there's been a player in college basketball quite like him in some time. Of course, not Auburn fans got mad. What, what, what are you saying? There's been better players. No, six foot ten can put the ball on the floor, shot 40% from three for most of the season. He's incredible, and I think Paolo's incredible too. Paolo's game has evolved so much over the last three, four, five years, and I believe that he can contribute tomorrow in the NBA, and I also believe that there is a lot more upside. Where it gets interesting to me, however, is with Chet Holmgren. And again, I'm trying not to have a hot take. I'm trying not to go overboard. But he's just a guy that I don't know what to make of him for all the same reasons that you guys and girls feel the same way. On the one hand, listen, what's fascinating about Chet, let me even rephrase, is that I can see both sides to the Chet Holmgren argument. And as a matter of fact, I have seen two sides to the Chet Holmgren argument with my own two eyes. It was crazy because Gonzaga played back-to-back games in Vegas during Thanksgiving week. They played UCLA on a Tuesday night. They played Duke on Black Friday. And on Tuesday night when they played UCLA, it was like peak Chet. He was just awesome. Running the floor, hitting threes, blocking shots, changing the game. It was kind of, by the way, the same in the NCAA tournament against Arkansas. Now, he fouled out. There were some tough foul calls, 
But when he was in the game, you know, he was impacting the game offensively and defensively, and you could see that Arkansas had to readjust everything that they were doing because of him. But I was also in the arena two nights later when Chet and Gonzaga played Duke, and Chet really had no answer for Mark Williams, the Duke center, and you start to wonder as he starts to face guys just as big as him, big as in size, height, you start to wonder, is he going to continue to have that success? And that's the question that I do not have the answer to. Nobody does. And that's what makes him the most fascinating prospect in this draft. I could see the scenario where three, four, five years down the road, he starts to put it together. He puts on literally, and I'm not being facetious when I say this, 40, 50 pounds of muscle because he's probably about 190 right now. You would want him to probably play at 230, 240, um, puts on 30 pounds of muscle and all of a sudden is just an absolute force hitting threes, blocking shots, doesn't lose any of his agility or athleticism. But what I just said is important there too. This is a two or three year proposition at minimum. And if you're the Orlando Magic, if you're the Sacramento Kings, if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder, can you wait that long on this guy? I do not have the answer, but I could see the one of two things. I could see him being a really, really good NBA player, and I could see him just never being able to put on that weight, getting bullied at the rim, uh, and not having the NBA career that people expect him to. Staying in the same vein, another prospect that fascinates me, and I'm going to be careful how I say this. I don't want this to end up on where Aaron was wrong. Jaden Ivey, to me, is outside of Chet, maybe the most interesting prospect in this draft, because to me... I don't want to say, I'll say he has the biggest boom bust potential because I don't want to sit here and say he's going to be a bust because he could end up being the best player in this draft. But I could also see the scenario where you look up, he's just a dude in the NBA. Let me explain why and why I'm cautious in how I'm saying this. So let the record show I'm not going to say he's a bust because I don't believe that in my heart of hearts. As a matter of fact, it's crazy because I believe he could be the best player in this draft. We all watched him at Purdue. He doesn't, let me just put it this way, he doesn't look like a Purdue basketball player, right? Six foot four, crazy athletic, jumping out the gym, trying to dunk on everybody. He has a lot of John Morant traits. Uh, I am not the first person to say that. I remember Jimmy Dykes vividly was the guy that really pushed the, I would consider taking him with the number one overall pick. Now, I don't think he'll go number one because Orlando doesn't need more guards after they drafted Jalen Suggs last year and Cole Anthony the year before. But he was the type of guy that with the right team, I could have seen him going number one. And he's the type of guy that with due respect to Paolo and due respect to Jabari Smith and due respect to Chet, I could see him being the best player out of this draft. Again, you just don't get guys his size with his athleticism. I will also say, though, that if you actually watch Purdue, and I think this is why you guys and girls like listening to this show, I actually pay attention. I actually watch games. I actually do my homework. That dude checked out of a lot of games. There was a point probably about two-thirds of the way through the season, where it felt like he felt like he was in the NBA already. And he would take plays off, and he would stand in the corner, and then he would get the ball with like eight seconds left on the shot clock, and he'd try to do too much, and he'd drive into five guys. And you look at how that NCAA tournament ended, and I'm not trying to put it all on him. It wasn't all his fault. But they lost to St. Peter's at the NCAA tournament. And if you're a top-five pick, if you're a lottery dude, you got to take that game over, baby. you got to take that game over. And so he, he was fine. But you can't lose to St. Peter's. And so Jaden Ivey is a guy that, to say the least, I have some concerns about. But I also can't lie. I'm not going to sit here and BS you guys and girls. If I was in one of those draft rooms, I would have a tough time passing on that potential. Really, really, really good. Speaking of passing on potential, I mean, how can I not talk about 
the guy that's next. It's Shaden Sharp. It's Shaden Sharp, and I've spent so much time talking about him, I don't want to keep reiterating the same thing. But there is a reason that Shaden Sharp, who came to Kentucky in December, never played a minute for Kentucky this year, for reasons we've talked about, because of the way that his camp finessed John Calipari in Kentucky. I don't blame John Calipari. But there's a reason that he was the number one player in that class, and there was a reason that they finessed Kentucky. It's because they knew, just get me through these next six months, prove that we're going to be eligible for this NBA draft, and somebody is going to take a chance on him being Shane Sharp. And if you follow the draft stuff pretty closely, Shaden Sharp had this weird workout, not a weird workout, but he had a pro day in Chicago in the lead up to the NBA draft combine. And all reports are he was awesome. And it's not surprising. He was the number one player in the class of 2022. Crazy athleticism. As I told you on last episode, 49-inch vertical leap from Shaden Sharp. And so to me, He's just the single most fascinating player in this draft. Let me wrap by saying, or, you know, not fascinating, but you know what I'm saying, just a mystery man. Could I see him going four to whoever I could? Could I see him falling a little bit? Probably. But he is going to be fascinating to follow his trajectory. Last thing I would just say really quick is, you know, I, I do, it feels as though this draft is just shaping up to be the Paolo Chet and Jabari Smith draft. And I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. I think it's more complicated than that because I think there's a lot of really good players. And like I said with Chet, it's going to be a two, three, four-year process. With Paolo, is he already more towards the finish line than the beginning, and will that be held against him? And Jabari Smith is really good, but there's, there's teams that don't need him. And so could I see Jaden Ivey moving up? Could I see, by the way, I think there's going to be good players in that 5 to 10 to 12 range with Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, with... Um, Ben Matherin from Arizona with Keegan Murray from Iowa State, or from Iowa, excuse me, big, big mistake there. Uh, I think there's a lot of really good players. And so I'll be curious to see how it all plays out. But really fun draft. I'm really excited. And then really quickly, let me give you the top three picks how I would draft if I was these teams. Number one, the Orlando Magic have the number one overall pick. Feels like it's been quite a bit that they've drafted in the top 10. It's because they have, as I said. So what did I say? Seven times since 2013 they've picked in the top 10. Not great. Um, And as I said, I think you have to go get a guy that can contribute right away. I don't think you can bring in a guy like Chet and sell your fan base, wait till 2025 because this guy's going to be a hooper. I don't think you have that luxury if you're the Orlando Magic. You have to bring in a guy that can contribute right away. And so if I was the Orlando Magic, I had the number one pick. I'm on the clock. The Orlando Magic, Adam Silver calls me up to the podium. I'd probably kind of make fun of him to his face because I don't really like Adam Silver. I don't like the guy. I don't know him personally. But number one pick, drum roll please. The Orlando Magic, headed by Aaron Torres, select Paolo Bencaro Duke. I just said it. I don't need to keep going over it. Paolo can step in today and contribute on an NBA floor. He's not hyper-athletic, but he is very skilled. He's very tough. He's a bully in the paint, and I think he's going to continue to get better. I think there's this notion that because he's not this super athlete like Jaden Ivey or like Jabari Smith that he can't get better. I'll tell you, as somebody who has seen that kid consistently since he was a freshman in high school, He was a big back-to-the-basket guy early in his career, and he progressively got more skilled, expanded his game, was able to step out and shoot threes at Duke, was able to put the ball on the floor at Duke. I know it's going to be different in the NBA. Despite what J.J. Redick will tell tell you about me, I know the game of the NBA. I know the NBA game of basketball, and I know how much talent is on the floor. I still believe Paolo is both a guy 
that can contribute as soon as he steps into the NBA. And I also believe that he is a guy that can can evolve into a player more than he already is, an all-star caliber player. Paolo goes at number one. Because Paolo goes at number one, I think it makes it interesting. Number two, the Oklahoma City Thunder. As I said, they have 37,000 draft picks over the next five years. I think they take, drum roll please. They're a team that can wait on potential, but I think they pass on Chet Holmgren and they take Jabari Smith. Listen, Jabari Smith's upside is through the roof. Six foot 11, as I said, was a 40% three-point shooter for most of the season at Auburn. Soft touch between the legs. He can do it all. And I think if you're Oklahoma City, Jabari Smith is the guy that, like, if it clicks, now, Jaden Ivey might be there too, but, like, if it clicks for Jabari Smith, I mean, we're talking about a potential, you know, whoever, fill-in-the-blank type guy as a 6'9", 6'10", guy that can score at all three levels with all the shots and all the soft touch. Don't want to say Kevin Durant, that's unfair, but whatever that next level down is. So to me, I think Oklahoma City at number three, at number two, excuse me, goes with Jabari Smith. And then at number three, Houston Rockets, another team, they just need to draft good basketball players. I think this would be a spot where you consider Jaden Ivey. I think because you took Jalen Green last year, because you took Josh Christopher last year, a, a guy that... Fair or not, people seem to really like in that organization. Um, got some run this year with the big club, eight points per game in 74 appearances. You went heavy in the backcourt last year. I think if this was a different circumstance, you maybe take Jaden Ivey over Chet Holmgren. I kind of think they go with, Ch with Chet here, though. I made my Chet piece. I could see the scenario where three, four years he becomes a legitimate star. I can also see the scenario where three, four years, he still hasn't put on weight. He's still getting bullied in the NBA. And when I say bullied, by the way, I mean it's a relative term. I'm not calling him soft, but when you're seven foot one, 190 pounds, it's easy to get pushed around when you're going up against, I don't know, um, whoever, Kavon Looney or, uh, you know, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. I'm trying to think Giannis. Like, like, imagine Giannis going up against Chet Holmgren right now, but Giannis is also, of course, the great example of what happens if it does click. So those are my top three picks. I would go Paolo, number one, Jabari, number two, Chet, number three. At some point later on in the springtime as we get closer to the draft, I'll probably do my definitive lottery, but those are my first takeaways from the NBA draft lottery. Congratulations to the Orlando Magic and the three remaining Orlando Magic fans left. You have the number one pick. Now don't screw it up. All right, this is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I do want to come back, and I do want to hit on a little college football. Big story in college football right now, the kid Jordan Addison, of course. He was the kid that was at Pitt, Bolitnikov winner, ends up hitting the portal. It appears as though he's down to three schools. Is it going to be USC? Is it going to be Alabama or Texas? I almost said Ohio State, although there's some weird Ohio State buzz lately. I think it's down to those three. We're going to discuss that next. I'll be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, the NBA playoffs are down to four teams. And DraftKings Sportsbook has an incredible offer for first-time users of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Here is the deal. Bet $5 on any team. Just a money line bet, not against the spread, not the over-under. Just a $5 money line bet on any team. And if that team wins, you get $150 in free bets. That's right, one team, Boston. Golden State, Milwaukee, 
Dallas, whoever you like, bet $5 on them. If they win, you get $150 in free cash. Here's what you got to do. Here's how you sign up. Click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Bet $5 on any team. And if your team wins, you get an automatic $150 thanks to our friends at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It's the best offer in sports betting going, so make sure to act now. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9 within in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline at 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or over to enter, 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, Louisiana, New York only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you again to our partners, DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. $5 money line bet rest of the NBA playoffs. If your team wins, automatic $150 in free bets, courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. Tell them Torres sent you. New users only, so thank you again to our partners at DraftKings. With that said, I do want to switch gears, though, and I do want to hit on really the only real noteworthy topic in college football right now, but it is a doozy. It is a big one, and that is the present and future of Jordan Addison. And by now, we all know the story, but as a quick refresher, Jordan Addison, Bolitnikov winner as the top wide receiver in college football last year at Pitt. 100 catches, 17 touchdowns, somewhere in those neighborhoods. Don't know if those numbers are exact, but it was right around those figures. Up until about, I don't know, April 28th, 29th, it felt like Jordan Addison was returning to Pittsburgh and there was nothing to see here. And then all of a sudden, about 48 hours before the deadline to enter the transfer portal, we get all sorts of rumors and innuendo. There's rumors that he's going to enter the portal. There's rumors that he's silently, basically, unofficially committed to USC. There's rumors that there's huge NIL deals out there. A few days later, Jordan Addison officially hits the portal. And what is now interesting to me is this. I do think we obviously get caught up in the NIL stuff and the tampering stuff and the portal stuff and all this and all that. And I think that's what's made this story so far. But what I also think is very interesting about the dynamics at play here is that there is also a really good football player that nobody is talking about, right? We're getting so caught up in the NIL numbers and the this and the that and the tampering and what did Lincoln Riley do and all that that we forget this is a very talented football player. This is not a high school player allegedly getting NIL money. This is not Tennessee's quarterback commit allegedly getting $8 million in cold hard cash over the course of four years. This is an established college player that has gotten it done at the highest levels and he is going to have a major impact somewhere in college football next year. And so with that, it appears as though his recruitment is down to three schools. And I want to hit on all three schools, the pluses and minuses, and where I think he should ultimately end up. Now, it's worth noting this stuff is subject to change. Depending on who you believe, there's mixed reports over where he could potentially end up. He has already visited Texas. He has already visited USC. There are mixed reports on that he will definitely visit Alabama. There's a report out of Texas that he has eliminated Alabama. Until I hear something further, I'm going to assume that Alabama is in this. Let's get into the pluses and minuses of all three schools and where I would ultimately tell him to end up. 
First of all, let's start with Texas, and we're actually going to get to some Texas stuff in the mailbag section of this show. But this isn't going to be like a tear down Texas and they stink and Sark and whatever. Like, that's not what I'm going to do here. There are obviously pluses to Texas, and those are pretty obvious. Like Sark, for all the criticism of him as a head coach, he is a brilliant play caller. He is a guy that, oh, by the way, two years ago, less than 24 months ago, got Devontae Adams a Heisman Trophy winner. And it's also clear that if you're the best wide receiver, Steve Sark, best playmaker even, Steve Sarkeesian is going to figure out a way to put the ball in your hands. There's talent on Texas's offense. Quinn Ewers, the Ohio State transfer, is at quarterback. I know he hasn't officially won the job, but he's gotten it. And Bijan Robinson is one of the Heisman favorites going into next year. That's part of where I would be concerned if I was Jordan Addison, though. It is a very deep... The thing about Texas, let me even backtrack. Texas isn't very good at a lot of different positions, but one place that they're actually very deep is wide receiver. Xavier Worthy, who was the Big 12, uh, he was actually all first team Big 12 in, in addition to being the Big 12 Offensive Freshman of the Year last year. He's back. Also, they got Isaiah Nayor, a transfer from Wyoming, who was awesome last year out of the portal. They got Jaleel Billingsley, a tight end from Alabama, out of the portal. They got a Jai Hall out of the portal from Alabama as well, although there's mixed rumors over whether he'll ever make it to Texas or not, uh, remove some stuff from his Instagram profile on Tuesday afternoon. And so I bring it up. Texas actually has a lot of weapons, and that doesn't even include B. John Robinson, who's a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield. So there's that element of it, and then there's just the Texas element of it. And I know Texas fans don't want to hear this, but it's the truth. If you're Jordan Addison and you're trying to go one place where you know you can have success and you can have no drama on your way to the NFL – I'm just not sure that Texas is the spot. You might put up stats, but this is a program that literally like a month ago, you had players in the media saying that other guys aren't bought in, that they're spending too much time chasing girls and drinking and partying and having a good time on, uh, in downtown Austin and not focused on football. Is that what you want to do if you're Jordan Addison? So I'm not saying Texas isn't a good choice. There are plenty of positives. The NIL money is going to be great. We all know that. I would just be a little concerned if I'm putting my career on the line at Texas in a make or break year for me. USC, USC is kind of that, <laughs> that interesting one, right? It's like the, the Goldilocks and the three bears. One bed's too big, one bed's too small, one bed's just right. Uh, you know, Texas is just one extreme, Alabama's the other extreme, and I think USC is somewhere in the middle. We know Lincoln Riley's an established coach. We know he has put nothing but tons of offensive talent into the NFL, tons of offensive talent, by the way, that has produced in a big way at the college level. He's had Heisman Trophy winners, Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. He's had Heisman runners-up, Jalen Hurts. He's had Bolitnikov winners as the top wide receiver, D.D. Westbrook, C.D. Lamb was a first-round pick. So he's done it all, and he's going to have success at USC. Like, like, like this, this narrative that he somehow bailed on Oklahoma or he was overrated or he inherited Bob Stoops' organization. Like, to a degree, that's true. To a degree, he kind of saved Bob Stoops' career, though. Remember, Bob Stoops was, like, not really on the hot seat, but the fan base wasn't really happy with him. Then he hires Lincoln Riley, and Bob Stoops' final few years changed before Lincoln Riley takes over. So Lincoln Riley's going to have success at USC, but again, what it comes down to for me with Jordan Addison, you've got to think about both sides of this now. You can go, you can play with Caleb Williams, I think it is worth noting, like Caleb Williams was awesome last year, but he did struggle down the stretch, got a little banged up final three weeks of the season. I looked it up today, one and two record, lost to Baylor and Oklahoma State, the two best teams in the Big 12, and had four touchdowns and three interceptions in the final three Big 12 games of the regular season. 
So it's not as though like Caleb Williams, like I think we think of him as Superman and we think of him as the guy that stepped in, as the, in the Red River game. And he was sort of that guy, but it wasn't as though he was perfect. But I think the other thing too is like this USC program is in transition. I mean, I was at the spring game and even just looking at the roster, it's like jarring how many new names and new faces there are at USC. I think Lincoln Riley's, I don't think, I know Lincoln Riley's going to figure it out. I know he's going to win Pac-12 titles. I know he's going to make the college football playoff. Will he build a national championship contender? I don't know. But what I also know is it's probably not going to be this year. We're talking about 30, 35, 40 new players in that program, and it's going to take time to get everybody on the same page. And so if you're Jordan Addison, I get the allure of playing at USC. I get the allure of playing with Caleb Williams. I get the allure of playing with Lincoln Riley. I'd also be a little bit worried walking into a brand new program. Again, you're not a freshman who's going to be there three years. You got one year to get it right, go pro. Finally, there's Alabama. And, and like I said, it's, it's too hot, too cold, just right. Uh, Alabama is definitely the polar opposite of, of Texas and, and really, frankly, USC as well. I mean, it's just a juggernaut. It's an NFL factory. And there really isn't a ton of downside, right? Like, like first of all, part of this at some level is winning. Now, I think the more important part is what is the place that is going to put me in best position to succeed? And you could make the argument that Sark or that Lincoln Riley is going to put Jordan Addison in a better position. But some of this is about winning. And at Texas, you definitely have a chance to go like five and seven, four and eight, because that kind of happens at Texas sometimes. At USC, I don't think they'll be that bad, but I don't think they're 11 and one either. Alabama, you're probably, you're going at worst 11 and one, probably 12 and 0. Now, the downside at Alabama is, of course, that the, the, the depth chart like at Texas is a little bit deeper. Uh, they brought in two wide receivers already out of the portal, Jermaine Burton from Georgia, uh, Tyler Harrell from Louisville, the guy that Scott Satterfield was talking about the other day, and, of course, Jameer Gibbs, the running back from Georgia Tech, catches a lot of balls out of the backfield as well. So there's a little bit of that same Texas, are there too many mouths to feed? But the one thing I would say, all these other guys are new too. Now, I know Jermaine Burton just went through spring practice, but Tyler Harrell didn't, and I'm not sold that anybody's established in anything, and I'm not sold, by the way. This is Nick Saban. Nick Saban, this is the one thing about Nick Saban. You can love him, you can hate him. It is come in, it is compete, it is we are always recruiting, and you have to earn your spot every day. And so if Jordan Addison comes in, and he's by far the best wide receiver, which he probably would be, he's getting touches, he's getting catches, and he's getting balls thrown his way. The quarterback position is also much more set. I know Alabama fans have a little bit of concern about the O-line, but to me, if I'm talking about the place for me, if I was suggesting this for Jordan Addison, I would say Alabama. I know there's talk, there's real buzz about Texas. I understand that the, the insinuation is that USC is probably the favorite. I get that there are even people that think that he has added Texas and Alabama to the mix just to kind of make sure it doesn't look like USC was tampering with them. But if it was up to me, I'd go to Alabama because you know you're playing with a Heisman Trophy quarterback. You know you're playing with the, the best coaching staff in college football. You know you're going to win at the highest level. And you know with Nick Saban, he doesn't really care how many dudes are in that receiver room. If you're the best player, you're getting the ball as much as you can possibly take it. Happened last year with Jamison Williams. It happened with Devontae Smith the year before, but also to the credit of Nick Saban, when he had four first-round wide receivers in 2020, 2019 season, he spread the ball around. So that's my opinion on Jordan Addison. If it was up to me, I would say go to Alabama. If you're asking me to guess what he's actually going to do, man, it seems like there's a lot of Texas buzz. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say I think he's going to USC, but if it was up to me, I would tell him go to Bama. 
All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. Coming up, we go to your questions. Mailbag segment, and let me say this. We just talked Alabama and Texas. Well, guess what? They play this year on the field, and I got a question about that this week. Also got a question about Sark. Arkansas basketball. Is Final Four a bust too much? And the five most underrated college basketball cities in America. I will be right back, people. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But before we do, I want to welcome in a new sponsor, Athletic Greens and AthleticGreens.com. With one delicious scoop of AG1, that's Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. Quick side story. The founder of this company, they were experiencing gut health issues and were spending over $100 a day on vitamins and supplements. They knew there had to be a better way. That's Athletic Greens. For the cost of just $3 a day, you can get Athletic Greens. Here's the best part. It contains less than one gram of sugar with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash emerging. That's athleticgreens.com slash emerging for one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. AthleticGreens.com slash emerging to take over ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. AthleticGreens.com slash emerging. Thank you again for being our partner. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. 
Uh, first of all, thank you again to our partners, Athletic Greens. Make sure to check them out, athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Great offer from them. Really great sponsor. We appreciate their support. And let's go ahead and wrap the show uh, with something that we did last week on the Wednesday show, which is take some user-submitted questions. Uh, it's obviously that time of year. It's a little bit slower. There's not as much going on in the world of sports. And so on last Wednesday's show, essentially what I said was this. I put out a tweet on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, and I basically said, look, if you have any questions that you want answered on the show, could be anything, college football, college basketball, NFL, NBA, Vegas, whatever you want, go ahead and ask me at Aaron underscore Torres, and there are really only two caveats to this game. As long as the answer doesn't get me arrested, and as long as the answer doesn't end with me in a divorce, I will answer it on the show. And so last week we got some really good questions. That was obviously last week we talked about the next president of the NCAA, Kentucky basketball recruiting, um, you know, the, the Mike Leach tweet about the, the, the Kentucky Derby, really fun segment. And so I put it out today again on social media on Tuesday at Aaron underscore Torres. We got some really good questions. And so I want to go ahead and answer them. I want to get right into it. And I think this is going to continually be a segment here on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. So if you have questions, Make sure to hit me up at Aaron underscore Torres, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, and I will answer them uh, as they come in. All right, Reggie writes in, AT, not sure if you saw Texas, Alabama on Fox is a noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central kickoff. Are you a fan of marquee games starting at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central? All right, so I think everybody kind of knows the backstory with this, but this coming season, one of the big games on the college football out-of-conference calendar is Texas versus Alabama in Austin. That is right. Alabama is playing a true road game out of conference. This stems from all the years where they've opened the season with these big neutral site games. Eventually, the school pushed back. The fans pushed back. They want more big out-of-conference games at home. Ironically, of course, Texas will soon be a conference game for Alabama, but this is an out-of-conference game. It is at Texas, and it is the first of a home-and-home between Texas and Alabama. Well, because Texas is still in the Big 12... Uh, the Big 12 is, of course, broadcast by Fox. Fox has the Big 12, Big 10, and Pac-12 contracts. And over the last couple of years, Fox has moved their biggest game every week into the noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 9 Pacific window. Call it Big Noon Kickoff, and it has been a smashing success. I mean, you think about some of the games they've had over the last couple of years. They had that crazy Michigan-Michigan State game this year. They had Michigan-Ohio State. They've had several big Ohio State games. And so this has been a big success for Fox. And now the question is, do I like it with Alabama-Texas coming in? And what I would say is a couple things. First of all, um, you know, I, I do work for Fox. You know, Fox Sports Radio doesn't really matter in this case. And I'll say that like a lot of you, I had my doubts about this idea for Big Noon kickoff. When it first happened, I kind of was thinking in my head, well, college football, it's meant to be played at night. I'm not sure if this is the right move. But as time has gone on, I have seen it become a real success and something that fans are truly into and truly enjoying. And I have come full circle on it as well. Back in the day before Fox did this, it just felt like there were all the big games were all at the same time in the night window. And that night window, as I just said, gets a little bit crowded. We used to have the, the big ESPN SEC game every Saturday night. We used to have the big ABC game Saturday night. Fox had a big game. NBC would have some of those Notre Dame broadcasts. And then all of a sudden, you get three, four big games all in that 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock Eastern window. You can't keep track of everything. So I have been a big fan of Fox deciding to go with the noon Eastern, big noon kickoff. 
And I think it's been a success. And I think it's great for college football fans as well. Because what ends up happening is you have that really big game at noon Eastern on Fox. Then it immediately goes to the SEC game of the week at 3.30 on CBS. And then you got two or three big games that you can flip back and forth between at 7, 7.30, 8 p.m. Eastern. So I like it. I understand why Alabama fans would be mad. I certainly understand why Texas fans would be mad having that game at noon at 11 a.m. Central. It's probably going to be 1,000 degrees when that game kicks off. But I do think for college football fans that want to consume as much of the sport as possible, I think it's good. I like the concept of big noon kickoff. Kind of a quick follow-up to this one. I think it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but we'll get to it anyway. Sergio, at Soy the man, the 12th man, appears to be a Texas A&M fan. He goes, Aaron, how long until Gary Patterson takes over at Texas? Okay, so we got the Aggie, the Texas A&M fan, throwing shots at Texas. For people who don't know, uh, Gary Patterson, the former TCU head coach, is now an analyst at Alabama, or at Texas, excuse me. And so he's joking tongue-in-cheek how soon until Steve Sarkeesian gets fired and Gary Patterson has to take over for him. What I would say is, listen, I don't think Steve Sarkeesian's getting fired tomorrow, and I know it's an Aggie fan kind of having fun at Texas's expense. But what I will say is, even though we'll get deeper into Texas at some point during the summer, I do think they're one of the more uniquely interesting programs in college football this coming season, and it's for one specific reason. It is because we know that they have had a very short leash with their head coaches. We know that they, of course, are coming off a 5-7 and seven season when they lost to Kansas at home. But what I don't think enough people are talking about is this, is the idea that we now live in the NIL world and the one-time transfer world, and why is it important for this specific topic? It's important because I believe that boosters, as impatient as they have been before, are going to be even less patient going forward for one simple reason. They're not only paying big money now for coaches, they're paying big money for players. So it's one thing when the head coach makes $5 million a year, but five, six years ago, he could sell, it's going to take time, we need a few recruiting classes, we need this, we need that, whatever. Well, now you got Steve Sarkeesian making $5 million a year, coming off a five and seven season, and he's got a roster full of guys making bank. And obviously, we don't know all the deals, but let's just say for all the publicity that Texas A&M has gotten because of NIL and Tennessee has gotten because of NIL, I would venture to guess Texas is spending as much as anybody on NIL, and those boosters are going to expect results. And so I am fascinated to watch how that unfolds and how that element of things unfolds in the Steve Sarkeesian era. And there's one other thing that I would say about Sark as well, and about Texas as well. Urban Meyer is a free agent. And I don't think there's very many schools that in this climate with what Urban Meyer was seen doing on video last fall, what he has done and been accused of doing to other people and players, and he kicked a kicker, I don't think there's very many schools that at this point are interested in making Urban Meyer the face of their football program and in extension the face of their university. I do think Texas is one of them, though. I do think if Steve Sarkeesian looks up and he's 2-4 and four six weeks into the season, I think we're going to start to get some Urban Meyer buzz. And I know that two years ago when this job was about to come open at the end of the Tom Herman era, there were some reports that Urban Meyer was not interested in coaching in the NIL one-time transfer world, that he really had no interest in coming back to college football. But what I will say is he tried the NFL. That didn't work. He's still only in his late, early, you know, mid to late 50s. Nick Saban's 70. If Nick Saban's 70, Urban Meyer has one good four- to five-year run in him. It would not surprise me if Steve Sarkeesian, I'm not saying he's going to beat Alabama. I'm not saying he has to beat Alabama. But if he starts this year two and four, 
they have another four or five game losing streak like last year, you are going to hear those Urban Meyer rumors start to ramp up. Next question, Mike DMs. He says, AT, Big Hogs fan here, one of our writers locally. Jackson Collier wrote an article about whether it's Final Four or bust for Arkansas this year. Where do you stand on Final Four or bust for Arkansas basketball? All right, so it's really funny because Jackson Collier is actually a really good friend of mine. Uh, we talk regularly, and when Mike sent in this question, I actually shot Jackson a text. I said, just so you know, we're going to be talking about this on the Aratora Sports Podcast. I love this as a topic. Uh, and when I look at this topic, a, a couple things stand out. First of all, I think everybody kind of understands Arkansas right now is in the middle of a basketball renaissance that we have not seen at Arkansas in 25 years. We've talked about it a ton. Eric Musselman has absolutely cleaned up at that school in a way that I've known Coach Must dating back to the Nevada days, but I could have never imagined him having the success that he he has had so far. Three seasons. First season, the NCAA tournament is canceled by COVID. They were trending as a potential tournament team. Year two goes to an Elite Eight. Year three goes to an Elite Eight. And I think in both years, you could legitimately argue that one, the team absolutely overachieved, but then two, you lose in the Elite Eight to maybe the best team in the tournament. 2021, you certainly lost to the best team in the tournament, Baylor. 2022, I think there's an argument to be made that Duke was actually the best team in the tournament even though they didn't win the national championship. They're going to have four, maybe five first-round picks this year. They are going to have the potential number one pick in Paolo Bancaro. And that was a really, really good team even if they didn't win the national championship. And so now Arkansas fans are looking ahead to 2022, 2023 with all the excitement, with all of the talent coming in and saying, is it final four or bust for the Hawks? And so what I would say to that question is that in my opinion, this is the classic example of what I say all the time on this show. Two things in life can be true. One, it's great to have high expect. Not only is it great to have high expectations for your team, but have a team that can actually match those high expectations. But what I would also say is, I just don't think saying it's Final Four or bust, national championship or bust is a fun way to live your life as a fan. And to even backtrack, I think everybody knows because I've talked about it enough, but Arkansas is going to be really good next year. And so that's where these expectations come from. It's not just because of the fact that Arkansas has gone to back-to-back Elite Eights. It's because they have a really good team on paper going into 2022-2023. I've talked about it a million times, but three McDonald's All-Americans, Anthony Black, Nick Smith Jr., Jordan Walsh, all three are projected to be first-round NBA draft picks next year. Nick Smith Jr. is in the running for the potential number one pick in the 2023 NBA draft. Beyond that, and a lot of Arkansas fans give me flack every time I, I talk about this recruiting class, it's not only just those three. They have, checked this out, six players overall ranked in the top 100. Barry Dunning, Joseph Pinion, and Darian Ford joining those three guys. And then on top of having the number two recruiting class in the country with six top 100 players, three McDonald's All-Americans, three potential first-round draft picks, they also have, I would say right now, pretty much unquestionably the best transfer portal recruiting hall, five total players, Ricky Council from Wichita State, Jalen Graham and All-Pac-12 Ford from Arizona State, Trevon Brazil from Missouri, and the Mitchell Twins from Rhode Island. All 13 scholarships are currently filled. Right now, it seems as though Jalen Williams is not coming back. But even without Jalen Williams, I think this is probably the deepest, most athletic, and I would say most talented team across the board in college basketball next year. It's not just the three freshmen. 
There's two or three other guys that have long-term NBA potential. Ricky Council is a kid from Wichita State that I have been told by NBA scouts is a guy they could see playing in the league. Trevon Brazil probably won't get there next year, but is a guy that they could see playing in the league. So you're talking about a team with all of that talent, with all of that skill, and with not only the freshman class, but some of the transfers with really high-level NBA upside as well. With that said, though, I also don't like the idea a Final Four or bust, National Championship or bust for one simple reason. It's because it kind of sort of ruins the season, doesn't it? And I do think this is one thing that I think fans, I think we all inherently know, but I think sometimes we kind of forget and we get caught up and we're talking about stuff in May that's going to happen in November and December. But when you say Final Four or bust, it takes away from the season itself and it kind of says, not only do we have to get to the NCAA tournament, not only do we have to get to the Sweet 16, not only do we have to make a third straight Elite Eight, which is not easy, we got to win one game more for the season to be considered a success. And I just, as a fan, don't want to live my life like that. First of all, part of being a fan, and again, I think this is the part that fans inherently know, part of being a fan is to enjoy the process and enjoy the journey along the way. It's not always just the destination. It is the process to get there, right? Think about being a North Carolina fan over the course of this past college basketball season. Disappointing start, disappointing middle. You're wondering, is Hubert Davis the future? You're wondering about all these high-caliber players that aren't delivering. And then all of a sudden, a light flips. And then all of a sudden, you're kind of good. And then all of a sudden, you're beating Duke at Cameron Indoor to ruin Coach K's last regular season game, thinking that's as good as, as, good as it's going to get. Then you get to the NCAA tournament and beat the defending champ. Then you beat UCLA. Then you're in a Final Four. Then you beat Duke again, and you're playing for a national title. How fun was that for a North Carolina fan, even if he didn't win the championship? Heck, how fun was it for an Arkansas fan? Start 0-3 in SEC play in this, this previous season. I had Arkansas fans in my Twitter mentions. They don't want to mention it now. Already saying it's time to focus on baseball season. Let's move on. We don't want to talk about basketball anymore. Start the season 10-5. and five. You finish the season, I think it was 29-8 and eight overall. So you're talking about whatever it is, 18-3, and 19-3, 19-4 over the final two and a half months of the season. Even though you don't win the championship, that was a really, really, really fun season. Same in college football. Tennessee fans didn't win a national championship last year, but they were good. They were relevant. They enjoyed the journey. Kentucky fans, another great season, enjoyed the journey. And so... When you talk about Final Four or bust, you're not enjoying the journey. You're just focused on the destination. You're not focused on everything that it takes and all the fun steps to get there. And so I just don't, I wouldn't want that if I was an Arkansas fan. I wouldn't want that pressure. And to take it a step further, you know what that kind of sounds like to me? That kind of sounds like you're not really enjoying winning. Now, maybe you're an Alabama football fan and you're just used to 10 years of we expect to win and when we win by anything less than 50, we're miserable. But to me, that just doesn't sound very fun. So that's my take on that. I went a little bit longer than I was anticipating. But when you talk about Final Four or bust, that puts a lot of expectations on a team. And you just and the other thing, too, really quick, and I know I'm going long on this one, but you just don't know what's going to happen over the course of a year. Could be ebbs and flows, could be peaks and valleys, could be injuries, could have some guys, whatever. I, you know, I, I, all I'm saying is I don't want to keep going on this, but when I look at this exact situation, I just say, Arkansas fans, it's okay to be excited. It's okay to dream big. It's okay even to book those hotel rooms for Houston next year's Final Four. But even if you have visions of a Final Four, don't undersell the process, don't undersell the journey, and appreciate the team day in and day out because we all know this as sports fans. I know this as a UConn fan. Nothing is guaranteed. Doesn't matter how good you were last year. Doesn't matter how good you are next year. This stuff changes quick. 
and enjoy the process. Final question. This one's going to be another long answer, so buckle in. But I think it's a really good question, so I do want to get to it. And it came from somebody named Dan uh, who tweeted in, top five college basketball cities, and why is J.J. Redick so sensitive? And so look, just said it a minute ago, we're not going to talk Redick on this show. And I think he's sensitive because he knows that I'm going to keep going at him because I know he's wrong, and I want him to admit he was wrong, and he won't do it. But neither here nor there. But Dan asks the five best college basketball cities. And so I saw that question. I think the question is kind of vague. What is the best college basketball city? And even if it is not just vague, I also think on top of that, it's probably a little bit obvious, right? Like we all know Chapel Hill is a great college basketball city. We all know Lexington's a great college basketball city. We all know uh, Durham and, and Lawrence, Kansas are great college basketball cities. So I'm going to twist the question a little bit. I'm going to take out the J.J. Reddick part. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my five most underrated college basketball cities with two quick caveats. One, they can't be super, super, super obvious, okay? So we are not going to put Lawrence, Kansas on there, even though it's very obvious. We are not going to put Durham. We are not going to put Chapel Hill. Louisville is the number one college basketball market, radio, TV, whatever in the country. Not going to include that one. Same with Lexington. And then the other caveat is this. It has to be to a place that I have either gone to a game or at the very least, been in the city during the season and could feel the energy of the fan base. So as an example, I've been to Spokane. It was many years ago. It was in the dead of summer before Gonzaga became a superpower. Gonzaga was big in June and July. I don't remember it like taking over the city though, and I've never been to a game there. And so I don't think it's fair to commentate on if Gonzaga is underrated, overrated, properly rated. Same with Fayetteville, Arkansas. Just talked about the Hogs, have not been to Fayetteville. Don't want to comment on it, even though I know it's a great basketball city. Same with um, whatever, Wichita, when Wichita State's good, et cetera, et cetera. So let's get into my five most underrated college basketball cities. Number five is probably going to surprise you, but I'm going to say that San Diego, San Diego, California, and San Diego State is one of the most underrated college basketball cities. And what I would say is not only is it an underrated college basketball city, but last week when it was Jim Calhoun's birthday, we talked about the most, you know, kind of the greatest coaches of all time, right? And I talked about the great program build that Jim Calhoun did. Steve Fisher at San Diego State has one of the more underrated program builds in the history of college basketball. I looked it up. Before Steve Fisher got to San Diego State, they had been to a grand total of two NCAA tournaments, three NCAA tournaments in school history, had two, two tournaments where they won a single game, and that was the entire history of the program. Since then, they have made 11 NCAA tournaments. They have made two Sweet 16s. And remember, in that 2020 season where the NCAA tournament was canceled, San Diego State was in line to get a number one or number two seed. They had Malachi Kai Flynn, who was a first-round pick, and they were really good. But to say that they were, they've just had some good years and Steve Fisher built, that doesn't mean that it makes it an underrated city. But I will tell you this, San Diego actually really likes college basketball. I know we don't think of San Diego as Lexington or Lawrence, and I'm not saying that it is. But remember, San Diego is a big city. It has just one professional sports team now since the San Diego Chargers left. And you can't talk Dodgers baseball or uh, Padres baseball 365 days a year. And so the city has really embraced the San Diego, San Diego State Aztecs. Uh, the program is really well-funded. They have facilities that I'm telling you, they're on par with most power conference schools. They have better facilities than probably anybody in the Pac-12 except for maybe Oregon, Arizona, and UCLA. 
Uh, there's NIL opportunities there. They have media that cover the program. And they play in a 12,000-seat arena that is super loud and is super intense and super fun for big games. I have been there. The fan base is into it. The student section, the show is crazy. Probably one of the more underrated fan bases in all of college football or college basketball, San Diego, San Diego State Aztecs. They are number five in my most underrated fan bases in college basketball. Number four. So I've never been to a game for this school, but I have been in the city, and that is Omaha, Nebraska, and the Creighton Blue Jays. And it's funny because I think when you think Nebraska, like we obviously think Big Red, right? We think football. We think the passion that Nebraska football has. Scott Frost, I still believe in you, Scott Frost. But we're not here to talk about the Cornhuskers because what I think a lot of people don't realize, Creighton is a crazy college basketball fan base, and the city of Omaha loves the Creighton Blue Jays. And what's kind of interesting about them is it, it, it's kind of twofold in that the program has had a ton of success historically, but they've never really had like those great, great, great tournament runs. And so I think when we think of great fan bases, we think of these schools that have multiple national championships, multiple Final Fours. Creighton just basically made their first Sweet 16 in the modern era last year during the NCAA tournament in the bubble. But that doesn't stop this fan base and this city from loving this team. They play in an 18,000-seat arena that is essentially an NBA arena. And that thing not only is sold out now with Creighton in the Big East, that thing was sold out when Creighton was in the Missouri Valley. So think about that, the Missouri Valley, and they were getting 18,000 people in that arena, and it shows you how much that city loves Creighton, and it shows you how good this job is. I was kind of blown away in looking at the history. I knew they had been really good, but what I did not realize was how consistently good they were with never being great. Uh, Dana Altman was there for a very long time before he went to Oregon. Seven NCAA tournaments in nine years. I think it's worth noting. You know how good that job is? Greg McDermott, the current coach, was at Iowa State in the Big 12 and decided to leave a Big 12 job to go to Creighton when they were in the Missouri Valley. So credit to Creighton, I believe they are one of the five most underrated fan bases in college basketball. They come in at number four. Number three, it's a homer pick, and it's not really a city as much as it is a state. It's the state of Connecticut. And again, it goes to the bottom line when we talk about the great fan bases in college basketball. We talk about Carolina and Kansas, and we talk about Kentucky and Louisville and Indiana. Nobody talks about UConn, but what I can tell you is UConn basketball and UConn athletics are a 365-day-a-year obsession in Connecticut. I obviously went to UConn. My buddies that were not from Connecticut, my buddies that were not college basketball fans, remember, we have a ton of students that come to UConn from the Boston area, love the Red Sox, love the, love the uh, Patriots. We have a lot of people from New York, New Jersey, Long Island. They love the Giants. They love the Jets. They all come there, and they're like, you guys love this college sports team in a way that I cannot even imagine. And why I give UConn, why I put UConn on this list is because it's not a small part of the state. It's the whole state. You know how they call Kentucky Big Blue Nation? You know how everybody in Arkansas is all rowing in the right direction on Arkansas athletics? It's the same with UConn. Remember, they play their home games in basketball on campus in stores, which is sold out all the time. They play in Hartford at the former Hartford Civic Center. They now call it the Excel Center, 16,000, 17,000-seat arena. And then like two hours south of that is an arena named Bridgeport where they always play the NCAA tournament where UConn sells that arena out too, very controversially this year, by the way, because they were the two-seed playing in their home state. But UConn, the state of Connecticut, I am just telling you, 
The state of Connecticut loves UConn athletics. I cannot express that enough. Um, And it's because of the same reason that Kentucky fans love Kentucky and all that. It's the only thing that unites Connecticut, right? As I said, a lot of pro sports in the surrounding areas. And when you look at Connecticut, it's a state that is divided. I think Jim Moore is even talking about, has talked about this since he took over that UConn job. Half the state loves the Boston teams, the Patriots, the Celtics, the Bruins, the Red Sox. The other half of the state loves the Giants, the Jets, the whatever. Everybody loves UConn. UConn comes in at number three. Number two, as a UConn fan, I hate to admit this, but number two is Syracuse. I think Syracuse might actually be, I think the next two are the two most underrated fan bases by far in college basketball. And this is partly, by the way, why I continue to go after Jim Beheim. It is because I believe, people say, well, what's going to happen to Syracuse without Jim Beheim? I go, they're going to be better. Because Jim Beheim at this point is holding them back. For people who have not been to Syracuse, it is cold, it is dark, it is the dead of winter, it gets dark at 4 p.m., it's always snowing, I'm not trying to be sarcastic, that's really how Syracuse is. But the one, if you want to call it a shining light, it hasn't been the last couple years, it's Syracuse basketball. And I'm telling you, when you go to a game in the Dome, and there's 30,000 people there, there is nothing like it in college basketball. You walk in, it's just so big, so huge, so much orange, so it's incredible. And so the idea that Syracuse has been disappointing to me is absolutely inconceivable because it should be, I believe, a top 10 to top 15 job in the country every year. This job should be like, I really believe, in the ACC with the resources that they have, 30,000-seat arena. This should basically be Gonzaga, Kentucky, Carolina, Kansas, where they should really be in the top 15, top 20 every year. And every two or three years, they should have a team good enough to win a national championship. And that is my frustration. But the fan base is incredible. The dome is incredible for a big game. There is no home court in college basketball like it. And I will say this too for Syracuse. When the team is good, they travel. I just talked about UConn fans, how crazy they are. I didn't even mention how when UConn plays in the New York City area, they take over St. John's games. They take over Seton Hall games when those schools are playing UConn. And they take over the Big East tournament. Well, when the Big East tournament had Syracuse, Syracuse was the only school that routinely brought more fans to the Garden than UConn. All those Syracuse alums living in the city, all the Syracuse fans coming from Syracuse, there is really no fan base that's totally quite like it. I don't think Syracuse gets enough credit for their fan base. And I'm telling you, I'm not forcing Jim Beheim into a retirement home. I'm just saying that program should be operating at a higher level than it is. The final one of the most underrated fan bases in college basketball. It's one that I've talked about a lot over the last year. It's Arizona, Arizona Wildcats. I had my first chance to go to an Arizona game this year, and it was absolutely incredible. But when I look at Arizona, this is what strikes me, okay? You know a fan base is big. This is for me in the media. This is how you know when a fan base is big, passionate, excited. It's when A fan base has a million people that are employed covering that team, right? So Kentucky, we have a lot of Kentucky fans who listen to this show. How many Kentucky podcasts and radio shows and blogs and websites and news shows only cover Kentucky athletics? And yet somehow there is enough interest for all of them. Well, that's Arizona basketball. Every single week I get invited on a new Arizona basketball podcast, radio show, YouTube stream, whatever. And people in Arizona love Arizona basketball. Like I said, this year was the first time that I have ever had the opportunity to get to an Arizona game, and it was absolutely awesome. It was absolutely awesome. I had a total blast, and Tucson is a unique place unto itself. 
It's about an hour from Phoenix, but you can fly into Tucson. And when you're there, the only thing that's in Tucson, it's in the middle of a mountain valley, is the University of Arizona and Arizona Wildcats Athletics. The Arizona Wildcats, in my opinion, are the number one most underrated fan base in college basketball. My top five most underrated, San Diego and San Diego State, Omaha, Nebraska, and Creighton, Stores, Connecticut, and Yukon, Syracuse and Syracuse, and finally, Tucson, Arizona, and the Arizona Wildcats. Woo! Long show today, but a fun show today. Fun show today. I think you guys and girls hopefully you had a good time. Uh, but with that said, I do think it's time for me to get out of here. I want to thank you guys and girls for listening to today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you are not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. And again, if you have questions for the show, I think we're going to do these mailbags once a week here on the Aaron Torres Pod. But with that said, it's time for me to get out of here. I want to thank you guys and girls for listening, but that is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I'll be back on Friday. New episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Hope everybody has a great week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply